0: So good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Norton, and uh, we are going to jump right in because we have got a lot of ground uh, to cover. We're in a new series. Um, It's called Generation to Generation. And the reason it's called that is because that phrase shows up over and over and over all throughout the Bible. Let me just give you a few examples. Um, The prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, which we're pretty sure he wrote, uh, said this, You, Yahweh... That was the name that the Israelites called God. You, Yahweh, reign forever. Your throne endures generation to generation. And then uh, David writes in one of the Psalms, Great is Yahweh and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another generation. They tell of your mighty acts. And then Mary, when she finds out that She's gonna give birth to a miraculous child. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And basically what all of these passages and so many others we could have put up there are saying are a few just really important things. God is sovereign from generation to generation. He's merciful from generation to generation. And our faith in him is passed on from generation to generation. But last week when we kicked off this series, uh, Stephen reminded us that right now there's actually a lot of mistrust between generations. There's a lot of name-calling. There's a bit of misunderstanding. There's a lot of head-shaking, right? Because if you're here today and you're under um, 20 or you're under 30 um, you look at your parents or your grandparents all the time and you shake your head because they don't get you and you're not sure you understand them, right? And if you're here today and you're over 50 or 60, um, you look at your kids and your grandkids and you shake your heads at them all of the time because they don't really get you and you're not sure you understand them. And if you're somewhere in the middle like me, you just shake your head at everybody, right? <laughs> <clears throat> but what if there was another way? What if, as followers of Jesus, we didn't get sidetracked by differences and misunderstandings, but instead we embraced these truths. God's sovereign over all generations. He's merciful to all generations. And our faith, my faith, is connected to the faith of other generations, the generation that that came before me and the generations that come after me. But embracing these truths... I think, starts with understanding who we are as generations a little bit better. And so today, that's where we're going to focus. Um, In coming weeks, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the Bible, and we're going to look at some of the guidance and the wisdom it offers. But today, I'm just going to unpack a whole bunch of information to help us understand ourselves and our generational differences A little bit better. Now, I'm going to lean heavily into um, some sociologists. Um, There's a bunch of them out there. The Pew Foundation has a whole bunch of great research on this. There's some great um, authors, um, Tim Elmore and Hayden Shaw, specifically those. I'll lean into some of their work. Um, But there's also lots of history involved in this uh, because our generations are shaped by the historical events that's happened over the past 75 years. And that's really my area of focus. I actually teach American history post-World War II American history um, at DU. So I'm going to give you a ton of information today. If you want to take notes, I encourage you uh, to do that. Because here's why all of this information about our different generations is so important. Each generation has its own identity, its own tendencies, its own challenges, and its own journey of faith. And until we can see those different and unique traits and those different and unique tendencies that generations have, that means different generations often see the same world differently and they approach the same faith in different ways. Until we can understand those things, we'll continue to have misunderstanding and mistrust of one another. So, Here's what I want to do today. I'm just going to walk through and describe for you the five main generations that are represented in our culture and in this room right now. And here's one caveat. Um, What I'm going to share are generalizations They're sociological descriptions of group trends, which means no one fits any one of these perfectly. I'm not trying to put anyone in a box. There is no one individual that represents all of these descriptions. You're unique, right? And you've been shaped by so many different things, and yet you were born at a specific time in history, And the events that took place in the first 20 to 25 years of your life shaped you significantly. Even if you weren't aware of it at the time, they shaped you because they shaped the people who raised you and the way that they raised you. What was happening historically in the early years of your life created some unique values and some unique outlooks that your generation embraced. So... With all that in mind, <clears throat> let's jump in. Uh, here's the first generation, builders. Um, builders, this is anyone born from 1925 uh, or 29 to 1945, so anybody ages 75 through 91. Now, there's actually a generation that comes uh, before this, but there's very few of them left, so um, we're just going to start, to keep it simple, we're just going to start with builders today. That would be anyone from 75 uh, to 91, and sometimes they're called the silent generation, but I like the term builders um, because these are folks who are trying to build their lives and build this country at a time when it was really difficult to do that. You see, two events shaped their early years. The first was the Great Depression. 1929, the stock market fell, and we faced the biggest economic crisis that our country has faced in modern times. And then right after that was World War II too. And so builders have this really strong sense of sacrifice, of giving up for the greater good, which means they tend to be frugal and they tend to be conservative. And I don't mean politically conservative necessarily, just conservative in the way they live their lives and make decisions. My parents are builders. Uh, they were born in 1941. Um, their parents raised them with a Depression era. Mindset. Their parents served in World War II. And so my parents are frugal. My parents are conservative. My parents turn the lights off every time they leave the room. When I grew up at Christmas, we had to save the wrapping paper for next year. Did anyone else have to do that? Like we couldn't rip it up. We literally had to save it for next year because we can reuse it, right? So builders are frugal. They're conservative. They're cautious. Um, They're loyal. Uh, When they make a promise, they usually keep it, and they have this strong sense that everyone is called to sacrifice. And so if I could capture uh, the mentality of builders in a phrase, and this is what I've called uh, their life paradigm, it would be this, just be grateful you've got a job, (laughs) right? Just be grateful you've got none of this go find your passion mess. Like, just be grateful that you've got a job and that millions of us sacrificed so that the Germans and the Japanese didn't take over the world, right? Now, I've tried to come up or find um, a song that defines every uh, generation. It's a song, and it maybe doesn't define the generation, not necessarily just in the tune, but also in the words and the message um, that it gives. Now, that's nearly impossible to do, so when I get to your generation, don't judge me on this one. Um, But here's the one uh, that I found for the builders. All right, anyone know that song? Who's that? Does anyone know who? That's right, and that's from 1941. It's a fun song, right? It's about, um, but it's about uh, really a guy who gets drafted and ends up serving in the war. It's about service and sacrifice. Now, those ideals are going to shape the faith of builders as well. In their faith journeys, they're often going to connect their own sacrifices in life to Jesus' sacrifice, and that's a good thing, right? But it means they also probably have some really high expectations. When they see others who are not sacrificing in life the way they did or the way their parents did, they're often going to get stuck thinking that's really the only way to a vibrant faith. That's the only way, and it's their way, right? Right? Now, let's look at the next generation, Um, the baby boomers. Baby boomers, you guys were born between 1946 and 1964, which means anyone here who's between 56 and 74. And you are called the baby boomers because after World War II, the American economy flourished. In fact, it was actually the war that brought us out of the Depression. The Depression didn't end until World War II. And after the war, soldiers came home, And soldiers, including everyone else as well, had new opportunities. New opportunities to go to college, new opportunities to get education, new opportunities for jobs and wealth and single-family homes. This is when the American dream was first being talked about. You could actually own your own home. And so as a result... Couples got busy and started having kids and growing really large families. And so during this time span, there was a boom of 76 million children born. And so these years are shaped by affluence, by expansion, by a shift from self-sacrifice to self-fulfillment. You see... <clears throat> The paradigm of baby boomers, if I could put it in a phrase, would be this, I deserve better. I deserve better because they knew their parents and their grandparents had sacrificed. They knew that they had grown up in difficult times. And some of the conservatism of their parents and grandparents rubbed off on them. But there were new opportunities to grow, new opportunities to expand, new opportunities to excel and succeed. And they were determined to be way better off than their parents to have a better education, to get a better job, to make more money, to actually own your own house, an even bigger house, to take vacations that their parents could never have taken. And when baby boomers did succeed, their parents were proud of them, right? Their parents even reinforced this idea that if you work hard and you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. That's where this spirit comes from. Now, sometimes baby boomers are associated with the social upheaval of the late 60s and 70s, but those events end up shaping the following generation a whole lot more than baby boomers. Baby boomers grow up in an era of new suburban housing, new shopping malls, new muscle cars, JFK making a promise, we will get to the moon before the Soviets do. And we did, right? because we're America, right? So it's hard to pick a song um, for baby boomers uh, because they grew up in a time where there's amazing music with kids. They had Elvis, they had Bob Dylan. They brought us classic rock and Motown, right? Um, But there was one band that took the nation by storm in the year, the last year of baby boomers. And they had a song that I think captures the spirit of who baby boomers would become really well. Beatles fans? All right. It's not just the baby boomers. Um, Now, this strong sense of uh, working hard, right, working hard all day to earn money, to buy stuff, this strong sense of deserving better, of working hard to get it, of of self-fulfillment. Also, baby boomers grew up in a time when modern psychology was developed, which was very much focused on self-fulfillment. How do you think that shapes the faith journey of baby boomers in some healthy and maybe even unhealthy ways? You see, like builders, uh, boomers work hard. They have a strong, worth ethic, and sometimes they sacrifice. But if you step back for a second, what does grace and selflessness look like When the message you've embraced all your life is about working and earning and deserving and acquiring? Those are important questions for all of us to ask, right? But especially if you're a baby boomer. So the third generation we're going to talk about are the gen Xers. Uh, gen Xers, you were born between 1965 and 1980, so if you're between 40 and 55, you are a gen Xer. And, and just so you know, these dates are not and these years are not set in stone. Um, and if you were born sort of right in between, if you were born, like, for example, in '63 in, in or 64 or 65 or 66, you probably see some of those traits of both generations in your outlook. And in your life. But Gen Xers, um, for starters, you are a much smaller generation. There were only 46 million kids born in those years compared to 76 million baby boomers. And that's for a few reasons. First, in 1965, that was the first year that the birth control pill was publicly introduced. 1973, a few years later, is when Roe versus Wade was passed and abortion was legalized. And so just biologically, those two things contribute to less children being born, to smaller families. Baby boomers had two or three or four siblings. Gen Xers often only had one or two. In addition to that, uh, there was more family instability, For Gen Xers. Divorce rates went up significantly during this time because laws made it easier for couples in an unhappy marriage to get a divorce. Your parents, if you were a Gen Xer, worked pretty hard because they were probably successful builders or successful baby boomers, and they were leading and taking over the corporate world. And so many Gen Xers grew up with only one parent at home some of them grew up and they came home to no parents. They were just given the keys and said, you know, hang out and have fun until mom or dad get home at dinner time. And so one study has called Generation X the least parented and least nurtured generation in American history. Now, that might not have been your experience, but that was common for a lot of Gen Xers. We also grew up with the legacy of Vietnam where a Democratic president stood up and lied through his teeth when he said we were winning the war and everything was okay. And then we grew up with the legacy of Watergate a few years later when a Republican president stood up and lied through his teeth to the American people and said he had done nothing wrong. And so Gen Xers grew up with this new level of cynicism and skepticism toward anybody in authority or power. And that was new Up until this time, you might not have liked the guy in office, you might not have voted for him, but you still trusted him, you respected him, you didn't think he was lying to you. Gen Xers were the first ones to grow up with that level of distrust and cynicism. There was also economic crisis during this time. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer, the year I was born, 1973, there was an oil crisis and gas prices quadrupled in one year. Just imagine for a second if this year gas went up to $12 a gallon. What does that do to the outlook of a culture? And again, I was just a baby then, but what does that do to the outlook of parents and how they're raising their children? So here's the life paradigm of Gen Xers. Reality bites, (laughs) right? It just does, which, by the way, is a great movie. It's a great Gen X movie if you want to learn more about Gen Xers called Reality Bites. But it's this pessimistic, cynical outlook. And remember, not all Gen Xers are dark pessimists and cynics. But if you're a Gen Xer, wouldn't you agree that that's sort of the outlook of our generation? So there's a classic Gen X song. It didn't actually show up until a few years later when we were in our teens And in our 20s, but it really became our song. In fact, NPR recently called it the anthem for a generation that didn't want one. How about that for a song? Let me just say, um, playing Nirvana (laughs) during a sermon just became the high point of my preaching career. In fact, it's really the only reason we created this series, just to get to that moment. Um, It's that angst, right? That rawness, that deep cynicism, even the sarcasm, right? Here we are now, entertain us. That's what shaped Generation X. Now, how would that shape someone's faith journey? Maybe in some healthy ways, right? Jesus was pretty raw. Jesus had some skepticism towards the people in power. He stuck it to the man from time to time, right? But if we're honest, that Gen X outlook probably shapes our faith journey in some really unhealthy ways, too. This is the time period when young Americans started checking out of faith and church and religion all together. The news in the last 20 years has been all about how the millennials are leaving church. The Gen Xers are when it really began happening. So, millennials, let's talk about you guys, right? You were born from 1981 to 1996. Um, Originally, you were called Generation Y because you came after Generation X, but you were not content to live in anyone's shadow, Uh, and you wanted your own name, and you were shaped by the future. You were shaped by the dawn of a new millennium, and that's when the first millennials began to enter adulthood was when the year 2000 happened, so this name, Millennial, Stuck. And there are several reasons that you were a lot more hopeful than Gen Xers. Uh, For starters, the Cold War ended in 1989. So think about it. This fear that Americans had lived with for over 40 years was suddenly gone. The American economy exploded in the 1990s. The internet opened up all sorts of new possibilities as did globalization, opening up all sorts of new connections and new opportunities. Which means millennials grew up in a world and became adults in a world that was technologically very different than everyone else before them, especially your parents. Economically, it was very different. You acquired more access to more options and more choices than had ever existed before. And so with this new optimism and with this new technology and with these new choices, here's the paradigm that I think you have. Life is a buffet, right? Life is a buffet. Or if you're older, life is a cafeteria. Remember those, right? Remember you would go down and whether it's a buffet or a cafeteria line, there's all sorts of options and choices and you get to pick whatever you want and not choose what you don't want. You get to customize your meal, just like customizing your drink at Starbucks, right? I mean, millennials are the first generation that could walk into Starbucks and order a latte and say how many shots of whichever syrup and how, what size it's going to be and what kind of milk it's going to be and how many packets of Splenda and what kind of temperature. I want it exactly 185 degrees, Right. You grew up being able to do that, not just with coffee and with products, but with every decision and every facet of your lives. You were able to create your own personal and customized life. And that's partly because of technology. It's partly because your parents told you that. Your parents had a new optimism for you. They told you you could grow up and do anything you wanted. If Gen Xers were the most under-nurtured generation, millennials have probably been the most over-nurtured generation You were told you're unique, you could go find your own passion, you can go out and create your life and change the world, and marketers have told you this as well, you're bombarded with 10,000 messages a day telling you, you can create your own life. Oh, and by the way, we have a product that can help you do that. So with all those options, with all of that optimism, millennials, you grew up excited to take new chances to take risks, to enjoy new experiences, to see the world like a lot of people don't have the opportunity to, to even change the world, to do whatever you want. And if it works out, awesome. If it doesn't work out, you can just move on to something else because life is a buffet. So what song would best represent millennials? Well, it was a tough choice. Um, So I went with the most popular millennial artist over the past 15 years, the preeminent millennial born in 1989. Does anyone pick up on the hint? young and you're restless, right? So here's the question that I've asked on all of these. Um, How do these traits, how does this outlook, how would it shape a millennial generation's journey of faith? There's definitely an optimism, right? There's a, a hopefulness, there's a level of passion that millennials have that a lot of Gen Xers didn't, and that's so Refreshing in the face of skepticism and cynicism, right? Millennials believe they can change the world by Friday, and many of them have. But they also tend to take this buffet approach when they go towards spirituality as well. To pick and choose what you want. To do what works for you. If something's a little hard or something's going to take a little too much time, we just let that one go. So it's easy to take a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of working out, a little bit of Oprah, and just sort of pull it all together into your own customized personal version of faith. And we laugh, let's be honest, all of us have a tendency to do that in this culture right now, but especially millennials. Now, the final generation is Gen Z. Sometimes it's called iGen. There's been lots of names kicked around uh, for them, and that's anyone born from 1997 on. Now, let me just say, um, Generation Z will probably not be that big. Kids that are born right now today will almost certainly be a part of another generation, but we don't really understand the characteristics of generations until they begin to move Into adulthood. So, we don't know when the end of Gen Z will actually happen. So, to keep it simple today, I'm just gonna say anyone born after 1997. And before I describe Gen Z, if you were to represent each of these five generations according to their current size in our culture, this is what you would get. Not many builders left, baby boomers and millennials. You guys are the biggest, uh, at least up until the last one. Gen Xers, you're a little bit smaller in between them. But then Gen Z, a massive group representing the next generation and those who will come after Gen Z. And so before I go on and, and just say a few words about Generation Z, um, I want to just pause and say, I hope we care about I hope we create a church for them. I hope we think about what kind of faith they want to have and they need to have and what kind of faith we need to pass along to them, a faith that will be different. It's a faith that we live differently than the generation before us, and it's a faith that they're going to live differently than the way we live because that's going to be our kids and our grandkids, your nieces and your nephews. And so I hope we have a church that embraces and offers hope for the next generation. So what are they like? Um, well, the first big event of their lives was 9 11. Some of them might not have been alive then or even remember it, but the war on terror has shaped their life. It's all they've ever known. Mass gun violence as well. Columbine happened in 1999. Virginia Tech, 2007. Sandy Hook, 2012. And a whole lot of others in between. So think about it. They're growing up with a fear none of the rest of us ever had, a fear of simply going to school in the morning. So uncertainty uncertainty shapes their lives. There were two massive economic downturns in the 2000s. There's more volatile markets than ever before right now. There's unprecedented political polarization and division, as we all know. And that shapes their childhood. They're not old enough to vote or understand it all. They just know when we go see family at Christmas, mom and dad are probably going to get in an argument with grandma and grandpa about the upcoming election. Right? They're learning those things. But more than anything else, it's smartphones and social media and constant connection that shapes Generation Z. Think about this for a second. Generation Z is the first generation that doesn't need adults to get information. They don't need you anymore to learn anything, to get the answer to any question, or to watch a video on how to do something that they don't know how to do. They're the first generation that can broadcast their every thought and emotion live. We all have thoughts and emotions and we keep them inside. They're the first generation that can externally broadcast that to anyone and everyone. They're the first generation that enjoys external stimuli at their fingertips 24/7. And then they're the first generation that's in social contact all the time and yet often in isolation. They can connect to more people than has ever been possible. And yet they often often feel the most isolated. And those are realities that we're all experiencing and engaging right now. But for Gen Z, it's all they'll ever know. And so those things have created all sorts of new and amazing opportunities for them, but they've also created unprecedented levels of stress and anxiety And depression, loneliness, and isolation. And so here's what I think the statement of Gen Z could be. I'm coping and hoping. I'm coping and hoping. Because the pressures and the expectations placed on Gen Z by their parents, by new technology, by being connected all the time, by the hundreds of text messages they get every single day, by everything they see on Instagram and TikTok and everything else, by by more information and news overwhelming them than ever before, than more than they can ever process. It's overwhelming. And it's overwhelming for all of us, right? But they're going through it in adolescence. That's what makes them different and unique. It's the only normal that they'll ever know, It's shaping them in ways that it doesn't shape adults. And so for a lot of them, they're just trying to cope and hope that it will get better. Uh, So the song I picked for Gen Z came out um, a few years ago. It's from a band called uh, 21 Pilots, and the name of the song is Stressed Out. The good old days. When the mamma sang us to sleep, but now we stressed out. wish we could turn back time to the good old days. When the mamma sang us to sleep, but now we stressed out. So here's a question Um, How will those dynamics shape the faith of Generation Z? Uh, We don't really know, but it's a question we have to be asking. How is their faith being formed, and how can we give them hope? So let me close by saying what we started with again. Each generation has its own identity, its own tendencies, its own challenges, and its own journey of faith. So what have you learned about your generation today? Or have you learned about other generations today? Now, there's one question I didn't address. Um, you might be wondering, well, don't we all go through certain stages of life when we're in a certain season of life, and we progress through that irregardless of our generation? Aren't there some, some tendencies or some traits around stages of life? Yeah. Yeah, there are. And how do those shape our faith? Well, that's where we're going to pick up next week. So we're going to wrap up there. That's all I have to say today. So if you would join me, we're going to stand up now and we're going to conclude and I'm going to offer a blessing for us. <clears throat> I want to just remind you real quick, as Dan said earlier, um, we're doing something called Discovering NDC right now. So uh, if you're new, that'll happen in about five or 10 minutes. I hope you'll join us. That's in a room downstairs. Um, and then if you want to get connected, uh, there are all kinds of amazing D group options that are happening in the next few weeks. I hope you'll do that. So let me offer this blessing for us as we go today. May you be more self-aware of what has shaped who you are this week. May you be more aware of what has shaped who others are this week. And may you lean into the grace and the mercy of Jesus, who lives and reigns from generation to generation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.